Nyamadumarang, um Kiwindi Jonathan Jones, Baladur Rodri Bo Givebo, uh Natingina Yinjamara um Mayan Galang. Um my name is Jonathan Jones. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this country. Um I'd also um like to acknowledge Akka, um and in particular Hannah um for inviting me to be part of this show. Um I thought this was the end of the show. I thought I'd be the last. So I actually really haven't thought about what I'd say much. Um, uh, so this project, in a strange way, is a real response to what Hannah was just talking about, uh, uh, that notion of um, trying to create something um, that thought about things a little bit differently and tried to think about... Um, I guess things that are really happy to us. Um, I, I grew up with my great-grandmother. Um, she was Wiradjuri and um, she, she was really old. I, in fact, I, I had to go in there as a young person and look after her. She was like in her um, 80s and 90s. Um, but she had heaps of figurines. Um, she never had a budgie, but she had other figurines and you used to play with them. Well, I used to play with them. Um, and they'd make that noise, that really clinging noise, um, when you accidentally touch them, and she'd just sort of shot you a, shoot you a look, and <laughs> you're like, ooh. Um, but they were the kind of only toys um, I sort of had, which was fine, I really, really liked them. Um, but I guess I was really interested in commenting um, a little bit on intellectual property, indigenous intellectual property. Um, some of you might know the extraordinary um, indigenous lawyer, Terry Jenke. Um, who has been leading Australia in um, looking after Indigenous intellectual property. Um, and when you speak to people like Terry, she in fact advocates that um, our Indigenous intellectual property is probably the most important thing um, that we have. It's, it's, it's something that we should be really protecting and really looking after. And I, I was really interested in reflecting some of those stories on this little um, budgerigar because um, in our language the budgerigar is the gidgerigar that's that and that's the word you can hear we, we call that little bird a gidgerigar and um, it was corrupted obviously into the word gidgeri into the word into the word budgerigar um, but our, our memory is still there our knowledge is still within that word um, and I guess I was keen to sort of wake that sound up and so some of you might not know but like little gidgerigars like one of the smallest parrots in the world it's the third most popular pet in the world after cats and dogs um, and it's an Australian bird it's our bird that has been exported around the world and bred like crazy. People have bred it and bred it and bred it and, and done these. If you Google budgie breeding, there's in fact these extraordinary weird tables and charts on how to breed them and get certain colours and get certain things happening in them. Because traditionally, they're only meant to be about that big. That's probably about the right size of a little um, gidgeriga. And they're sort of meant to just be that green and gold colour. Um, and they shoot around and they, you can barely see them. And so all the blues, purples, the colours, all those variations are, are mutations that people have bred into our little bird. Um, and I was really interested in the fact that that mutation process has occurred through this... Um, this figurine practice as well, um, that in fact figurines, and most of these are all like historical or, or antique um, figurines that I've been collecting for a, a number of years, um, and 
they all come from different places. So these, these little figurines are from Germany. These guys are from Japan and are much later. These ones are from England. Um, and so there's something quite interesting about the way that this figurine, the bird, has also become a figurine. It's also been mass-produced. Um, you can start seeing, like, these guys are very detailed. They're a German budgerigar. And then it gets copied again, and the copying, you can see a mutation process in the casting, so it's also the casting process, so, you know, process of mechanical engineering starts to play a role in how things are getting cast and changed and shifted, and so I guess I was really interested in that process. Um, and then the language, which has sort of been turned off, but that's okay, um, is... Uh, uh, I work a lot with um, Uncle Stan Grant, who's sort of championed our language revival process. Um, and one of the things that's happening right now in New South Wales that some of you might have heard about is that there's a whole bunch of legislation coming in to protect our languages. Um, so people like Uncle Stan have been working for 40 years plus looking after our languages. We've been doing it ourselves, we've been taking care of our languages around coffee tables, kitchen tables, campfires, we've been protecting our languages and looking after them. And all of a sudden, um, New South Wales government wants to get involved and wants to manage that process for us and tell us who can teach it and who can't teach it. And it's a real issue that we're dealing with right now. Um, and Uncle Stan's really staunch about this as being an enormous problem. It's part of this mechanisms of control. Um, and Uncle Stan's really staunch on making sure that the notion of that we don't need our languages protected. Um, we've had enough protection in the past. Um, and that, in fact, we just need to be supported. We need people to support us in our practice. Um, and so Uncle Stan and me often work with the kids from Parks School. So Parks is this tiny little town in central New South Wales, about 10,000 people. Um, and about two years ago, we got it to a point where every school in that town was learning Wiradjuri. Whether you were black or white, didn't matter. Everyone in that town, and that's a thousand kids, 10% of the population every year was learning Wiradjuri. And the change in social conditioning that occurred through that process is extraordinary. People are talking about, you know, bullying, harassment, just drops within the school. The school became a much more cohesive environment to work in. In two years, we're back down to two schools. Out of five schools, we're back down to two schools, again, because of the way that government funding structure has worked. So Uncle Stan was really keen for us to work with the little kids. So you can hear, um, it's actually a little soundscape with all the little kids um, from kidney, kindy right up to year seven, um, just saying the word gidgerigar and learning that word um, and learning how to say that word, um, putting it through its syllables and also stretching it out to say the word gidgerigar. Um, so, yeah... I guess we're, yeah, so the process was just thinking about that ownership of that knowledge, who owns that knowledge, how we control that knowledge, and how as Aboriginal people we move forward um, protecting our knowledge systems. Um, and when I say that, I don't think I've ever met any Aboriginal person who's not prepared to share things. In fact, one of the things that has scared me over the years is after 200 whatever years, Aboriginal people are still sitting down with everyone sharing knowledge and sharing ideas. This isn't about... Um, holding knowledge or power over anyone. It's about just who can, who's in the driver's seat and controlling those mechanisms. So, thanks.